0: We live in a world in which so much that we use is disposable. And I want to ask you about, to think about some things that are pretty common everyday life that are disposable. What are some things that come to your mind? Now, I did this last service, and my hearing is going, so I had to keep saying, what? I couldn't quite hear you. So speak loudly. What's something we in your life that you use that's disposable? Newspaper. Newspaper. Okay. Pardon? Paper towels. towels. Kleenex. Kleenex. That's a brand name. We said tissues last service, so we we had to clarify. I always say Kleenex, too, you know? So, yeah. Advertisement. Yes? I'm sorry. Pardon? Oh, I had a vegetable peeler, okay. What else is disposable? Batteries? Toothpicks? Yep, toothpicks. Paper plates? Contact lenses. That's a strange one, isn't it? You know, I mean, I remember my sister first got contacts in the 70s. They were, you know, the glass hard kind that you wore your whole life and you had to take them out every night or they'd stick to your eye. And now we wear them a day and toss them different. Anything else? Say that again? Sandwich bags, bags, all right. I'm surprised nobody said diapers. (laughs) You know, a lot of couples start out, as we did, with saying, we're going to use cloth diapers, you know. Well, that lasted, I don't know, two days or something like that. No, longer than that. But, you know, um, know, we have all these things, disposable razors, disposable pens, We even talk about disposable income. We we think about that a little bit differently, but we talk about disposable workforce of people that we hire for a little while and then we let them go. And we intend to do that from the beginning. And we live in this world of what I'll call disposability, where so much of our thinking is, I use it and toss it. And what's frightening about that is that it's subconsciously begins to work in our minds as a culture and we start thinking of our relationships like that. And our relationships are, are no longer for the whole of life, but if you offend me, hey, we're done. If you hurt me, that's it. If I find someone I like better, I'm going there. And, and so much of our relationships are, are in the culture and society, we see it all the time, are a throwaway. And I know that it burdens us as we watch our society continue more and more to think this way about relationships. But here's the thing it isn't something that's just started in the 21st century. Problems with relationships have been, have been going on. For centuries, even when Paul writes the letter to the Galatians, he is dealing with two factions in the church who are at each other's throats and are wanting to separate and divide and go their own way. And I think that's why when he gets to chapter 5 and he says, look, if you're walking in the Spirit, if the Spirit's living in your life, if you are a Spirit-filled person, then the fruit that comes out of your life, the characteristics that people will see are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. It is a characteristic of the Holy Spirit in his people. Now, what does faithfulness mean it 's not as though our culture and society doesn 't value faithfulness. All of these characteristics are viewed in some way or another positively by a high percentage of our of the population but somehow. As Paul says they're connected to the Spirit, he has to mean something different than what everyone else thinks. And I I think it comes back to what we've been talking about over and over again, that the fruit of the Spirit is rooted in this self-giving attitude that comes out in self-sacrificial action. And faithfulness is no different. Now the word that Paul uses here could be translated faith or faithfulness. And there are some versions that translate this word faith, implying that, and some, people, some scholars will say, this is a, one of the fruit that's really connected more to God than to other people. But it doesn't seem to fit the whole rest of the list. I think all of the list is more relational between human beings. But we all know our relationships with each other are rooted in our relationship with God. And you can't separate the two. So in a sense, it's both faith and faithfulness. And if we start talking about faithfulness in the way God intends it, it's going to always mean cost and risk. God is going to ask us to pay a price to be faithful. He's going to ask us to stick in with things when we'd rather quit. When we think about faithfulness, we're thinking about trustworthiness, reliability, loyalty, keeping our promises. And sometimes that's easy, sometimes that's hard. It's difficult to keep our promise when other people don't keep theirs. It's difficult to be reliable when other people aren't reliable with us. But to paraphrase what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, it's really not that difficult to be faithful toward people who are faithful toward you. Even pagans do that. The real test is faithfulness toward people who are unfaithful toward you. And that's the church the body of Christ, sticking together. That's why when I first thought about faithfulness, the image that came to my mind was bananas. Now, I totally forgot to mention this at the second service. So, they're all walking out going, what's the deal with the bananas? What does that have to do with anything? So, I'll explain this to you. You know, they come in a bunch. You know, you go to the store and rarely do you ever see just one lone little pathetic banana by itself. They they come in a bunch and, and... You know, we we buy them that way. You know, most of, a lot of you know that on Sundays between services, I eat a banana, just get a little energy as we go along. And so often Cindy will go to the store and buy those. But if I'm with her, you know, I'll go to the store and inevitably I get there and the, the only bananas you can get are a bunch of five or six of them. And I only want two. And I feel, I always feel bad. I feel a little guilty ripping off two bananas. I know you pay by the pound. It's not like I'm stealing, but, you know, you... I just I hate that sound of tearing those two bananas off of that. And that's why this is in my mind because it feels like it feels like I am ripping apart something that was intended to stay together. It's sort of like faithfulness. So what does that look like? What, what do we do with faithfulness? What does that mean to be faithful to each other? There are all kinds of things rattling around in my mind as I pondered this. But let me suggest a couple. One is, I think that faithfulness involves the risk of speaking the truth in love to each other. If we are going to be faithful to each other, then when we see each other going down paths that are unhealthy, we ought to be doing something about it. If you see someone running toward a cliff and they don't realize they're running toward a cliff, is it faithfulness to say, Well, I don't want to get in their I don't want to get in their life? Run over and tackle them if you have to. And when we see one another going in directions that we know are unhealthy, that are that are going to cause pain, that that are away from God, somehow we step into that with words of truth and quite frankly that's a risk because when we say things to people we don't know how they're going to respond i suspect if any if you've been on the other end of that where people have spoken truth into you to you as i have our most natural response is to get defensive and of course the best defense is a good offense so we go on the attack well i'm better than you about this and and we we strike back at them because they have you know, we're embarrassed, and quite frankly, we probably know they're right. We just don't want to admit it. But I look back at the times when people have done that for me and have done it out of, spirit, out of a spirit of love, and those are some of the most monumental moments in my life where God made changes for me that I needed, and have made me such a better person. Now, hear me. It's speaking the truth in love. Not anger, not arrogance, but love. We do this in a spirit of humility. We do this with prayer, with fear and trembling. We don't look forward to attacking people. But because we care about them, because we're committed to be faithful to each other, there are times when the most loving thing we can do is to step in and in sincerity and humility and grace speak to people. In 3 John, he commends the church there, the leader of the church, for both their their truth, their commitment to the truth, their faithfulness to the truth, their faith in what they're doing with each other in a spirit of love. And it's working for them. It's a risk. But it's part of being faithful. I also think there is, in faithfulness, the risk of of being bold and courageous with and for each other. And by that I mean there are times when when sometimes we're in such a situation that we don't have faith in ourselves. We don't have courage in ourselves to take steps of faith. And others come along beside us and become courage and faith for us. We lift up each other. We hold up each other. We care for each other. And in those moments, we take bold steps of faith that by ourselves we probably wouldn't take. There are a number of times in the the scriptures where people come to Jesus for healing. And he says to them, your faith has healed you. And they walk away different than they came. In Matthew 9, there is a story of a guy who is paralyzed And he has four friends, and they're trying to get him to Jesus, but the house that Jesus is in is so filled, they can't get him to Jesus. But they don't give up. They climb up on the roof with this guy, and they start taking the roof apart. I don't know who owns the house, but they can't be happy about that. And the people who are sitting in the house are going, whoa, what's falling down on us? And they look up, and now they can see the sky. they're pretty sure that wasn't the case when they walked into the house not that long before. And all of a sudden, this guy is let down on a mat into the crowd. And I don't know how the, other, how the four guys get there, if they rappel down on ropes or if they come through the front door and push their way in, but they get to Jesus. And in the middle of this scene, Matthew says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Your sins are forgiven you. Be healed. When he saw their faith, this man was healed. I think it took tons of courage for them to do what they do to get this guy to Jesus so that he can be changed. And sometimes we are that for each other. We stand in the gap for each other. We become courage and faith for each other when we don't have it within ourselves. One of the most astounding things to me in scripture is how faith, what a role faith plays in in the work that God does. I mean, God can do anything he wants to do without limits. He can do anything. And yet somehow he has decided to wed himself to human faith and his work in the world to human faith. And so the story of Jesus and And some of the disciples are on the Mount of Transfiguration. When they come back, the other disciples, there's this whole turmoil because they've been trying to drive out a demon and they haven't been able to. And they say to Jesus, why couldn't we drive out the demon? He says, because of your little faith. The most astounding thing to me is Jesus is in his hometown. He goes to the synagogue. He's teaching in the synagogue. And the people are amazed at his teaching. And then they start looking at each other and saying, wait a second. Is this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this the brother of James and these guys? Who does he think he is? And the end result of that is that the scripture says, Jesus was not able to do any miracles in that town except to lay his hands on a few people. Because they didn't have faith. They didn't believe. You and I can be people of faith for each other. When, when I don't have faith, your faith can pick me up. When you don't have faith, my faith can pick you up. But that means that it's going to be costly for us. I remember reading a few years ago about a guy named Paul who was at a prayer event, big prayer event. And people were sharing and he stood up to share. And, and he, he was this huge, massive guy. He had long, stringy blonde hair and, and he had huge forearms and biceps. You could tell he was a weightlifter. And he stood up in front of the crowd and he said, uh, I want to tell you about My sister. She's 26 years old. She has anorexia and she weighs 70 pounds. She's developed arthritis so much so that she can't get herself dressed. She can hardly move her fingers. And now she has developed diabetes as well. And she has begun to go through menopause. Everything has been taken away from her. Her health, her womanhood, her dignity, her life. And he said, but I I want to confess something to you. He said, I don't pray for her. He said, is it because I don't care about her? No, I I care deeply for her. Is it because I don't believe in prayer? No, I'm here in this event because I care deeply about prayer. I, I don't pray for her because it hurts too much. Because I know that every time I pray for her, I have to once again remember everything she's going through. And I have, to, I have to engage in her life and everything that she's going through. And it hurts so much because I care for her. But he said, God has been speaking to my heart that maybe that's exactly what intercessory prayer is. It's stepping into other people's pain. And taking on their pain. As we pray, not just for them, but with them. And he said, I am committing myself to pray with my sister. And I want to challenge all of us to pray about the burdens and concerns. And to be willing to pay the price to be faithful to each other in prayer. And to stand in the gap for each other. In a spirit of faithfulness. It's what we see in First Samuel. As the people of Israel reject God as their king, and they want a human king, and, and all that, that is going on there. And they say to Samuel, when they realize they have rejected him, they've rejected God, they realize their sin, and they say to Samuel, oh, please pray for us. And, and I, I think my most natural human reaction would be to say, pray for you? You guys pray for yourselves. You got yourself into this. You don't want me? Fine. But Samuel says, far be it from me to sin against God by not praying for you. Far be it from me to be faithless toward you. To be unfaithful toward your needs. And part of our praying for each other... And part of this idea of risking for each other and being faithful to each other is not just praying bold prayers and standing in the gap, but it's doing that consistently. It is refusing to stop praying because we trust God. Praying without ceasing is not just this spirit of praying all the time, but it's praying in such a way that whatever burden and need is on our hearts, we never give up praying about it. Friday, we celebrated All Saints' Day. We sang this morning for all the saints. And whenever we, we, we celebrate that day, we sing that song. My mind always goes back to Hebrews 11 and the great litany of faithful people through the centuries. And yet, in verse 13, it says these were people who sought God, who looked for the promises of God, and never saw them fully. They died without experiencing them but they didn't give up they didn't stop believing they kept on in the faith if you've been around the last few years about as we've had these prayer vigils you might remember me talking about a book Red Moon Rising it's a story that uh, Pete Greg, the author, author tells of how God p- put this whole vision of praying 24 7 on his heart. And a lot of it came out of his experience in, in the uh, Moravian church and, and visiting the uh, Moravians' uh, settlements and their prayer vigils. And, and this whole story of God in his life and that started in a little town in England that's grown around the world. And in about halfway through the book, he tells of being at a prayer event in Spain where there were thousands of young people worshiping and praying. And and this this night unfolded. They they just kept on worshiping and kept on praying. And he finally went uh, back to his room. And the next morning he arrived early. And he and the guy was there saying, "Look, what I don't know what's going on, but there are at least fifty of these young people who spent the whole night praying. They just won't stop praying." He said, "It's awesome. I've been hoping and asking God to do something like this in Spain, and and now we're seeing it." And Pete was sort of remembering, thinking back of how far they had gone, and all of a sudden he remembered that he had been in this, in this city once before. He had forgotten. It was when he was a student, hitchhiking from, home from Portugal. And he stopped in this, in this town, and he sat on a bench in the middle of the city park, and he asked God, where's the army? Where are your prayer warriors? Where are the people that you want to raise up in, in Spain? to stand in the gap for you and your kingdom. Where are they? And he said, they, they were nowhere around, and I didn't know where they were. And he said, all of a sudden, nine years later, here they are. This, these thousands of young people coming together, crying out to God in prayer and in worship. And he said, it was in that moment That he felt as if God said to him, Pete, I know, I realize that most of the things you pray about, you forget. But, Pete, I remember every single prayer. And whether you see it or not, I'm at work. And that really is the crux of the issue. We are able to be faithful because God is. Any faithfulness in us is because of our God who is eternally faithful. So much so that Paul writes to Timothy and says, even when we are faithless, God is faithful. And faith, the faithfulness of God is not just something he does. Even though scripture tells us over and over again, he's described as the one who keeps his promises, keeps his word, does what he says. It's really not so much what God does as who God is. He is faithful. It's his nature. It's his character. He cannot be anything other than. Than faithful. No wonder then, when we are filled with the Spirit. No wonder when this when we are walking in the Spirit, when the Spirit is controlling our lives, when we are surrendered to the Spirit, no wonder one of the characteristics of the fruit that comes out of us is faithfulness. Heavenly Father, we yearn for your faithfulness in our lives. Forgive us for all of the times when we have been unfaithful to you and to one another. And through your Spirit, raise up in us faithfulness. we pray this through Christ Jesus Amen